0: Hi, my name's Dan Baker, president of the Australian Strength and Conditioning Association, and welcome to the ASCA's first podcast. In this podcast, I'm gonna be talking about velocity-based resistance training, and how we use velocity as a measure to affect strength development, power development, and to some extent, size or hypertrophy training. So that's what we're going through in the next uh, period of time to look at. Velocity as a measure we can use in resistance training. So first off, what is velocity? What is the measure and how do we measure it? So velocity is basically obviously the speed of the lift we are looking at, and it can be measured by a variety of means. So traditionally, We've used uh, force plates in a laboratory to to measure velocity. But as a strength conditioning coach, this is obviously impractical for all our purposes. So over time, other methods were developed. Uh, Some people used uh, the sprint timing gates or some sort of uh, infrared light fixture to measure velocity uh, as a bar passed between two beams, for example. Other methods were using sort of a linear position transducer, which is basically either a chain or or a string coming off a drum line or a cog in the form of a chain. And uh, that measures the distance, the bar moves, and then you can also then use some method of measuring the time for that distance, and we get our velocity measure. Um, More recently, we had the development of uh, accelerometers um, which are attached either to the barbell or to the lifter's forearm, and we can measure velocity with them as well. So as long as the method of, of the rate of sampling the velocity is around 200 times per minute, we can get fairly accurate measurements. So that's fairly, fairly uh, good measurement speed to have 200 sampling periods per second, I should say, not per minute, 200 sampling units per, per second and we'll get a fairly good uh, and accurate measure of velocity during the barbell lift. So now we understand how we can measure uh, velocity in, in the gym, we have to look at, there are two main measures of velocity. We have what's called peak velocity and the mean or average velocity. So I'll explain what they are. The mean or average velocity is the velocity of the entire concentric portion of the lift, or eccentric, if you want to measure that. But let's talk today mainly about the concentric portion of the lift. So from the beginning of the lift to lockout. And then we get the distance the barbell moves, and the speed it moves at, and we have our velocity. The peak measure is the best Velocity within that range of movement. So it could occur just after the stretch short cycle movement of the rep, for example. Uh, so it's the highest individual unit of velocity within that range. So it's obviously gonna be higher than the mean. So it's your best, for example, five milliseconds of that repetition. Now, we have to determine once we know these two, that we can have two measures, what is better to use? And it's fairly simple. Your mean lifting velocity is very highly correlated to your 1RM strength. So that's a better measure if the object of your training or for that exercise is strength. So we look at the mean velocity. If, for example, though, you're more concerned with jump height or throwing, it's probably better to use the peak velocity. You can also look at mean, and we'll get into that later, because there's sometimes a relationship or, or the difference in their relationship can indicate certain things that are going on in your training, uh, fatigue or injury, If it's, for example. But peak velocity, uh, for example, in a, uh, jump is very highly correlated to jump height. And it could be argued then uh, that Olympic weightlifting exercises are jumping exercises. So maybe in, in Olympic lifting exercises, it's probably better also to uh, look at the peak velocity uh, which will occur during the second pull right, as, as a lifter is just about to leave the floor. So now we understand those two measures, peak and mean. So let's now talk about what is the relationship between velocity and measures or percentages of 1RM for different exercises. So we know there's a very strong relationship between velocity and percentage 1RM across large population groups for certain exercises. There is variation obviously with some people are faster than others. But I'll just talk about some of the data that's being gained by different researchers. And I won't go into their names and references, but I'll just give you some of the data. And I'm gonna talk mainly now about above 60% 1RM for strength training exercises. Because when we measure velocity below say 50% 1RM, if we're just doing a traditional strength exercise like a squat or a bench press, there's a lot of deceleration when you lift these light weights explosively. So there's big explosive drive, for example, off the chest and a bench press. But if you're using 45% one RM or 50% or less, the last portion of that lift is spent decelerating so you don't jerk uh, your tendons in your elbows and, and shoulders. And if you're doing a squat, if you're trying to keep your heels flat on the floor, you have to decelerate near the end of the squat when you've got a light weight. So you know below 50%, you're better off doing jump squats and bench press throws, and you can look at mean or peak velocity, but I'm gonna talk just the next few minutes about above 60% 1RM and its relationship to strength. So we've seen from a lot of the uh, Spanish research and some of my work as well is there is a certain percentage 1RM relates to a certain velocity. If you look at bench press, 60% 1RM, typically the mean velocity is about 0.77 meters per second. At 70% 1RM, it's about 0.61 meters per second. At 80%, it's about 0.46, 90%, 0.31, and your 1RM is somewhere around 0.15, 0.16, 0.17, somewhere in that zone. Maybe 0.13, depends how grinding you are at getting a rep out. So that's bench press. And obviously there's a standard deviation for that that allows for some people being more explosive or other people being a bit grindy, grinders as I call them. However, if we go to another upper body exercise, bench pull, there's a lot higher velocity. So in bench pull, that's 60% one RM, it's 1.06. At 70%, it's about 0.92, at 80%, 0.79, at 90%, 0.65, and at 100%, 0.52. So a 1RM bench pull moves at three times the velocity of a 1RM bench press. So there's no set velocity. I see people trying to say there's a set velocity for every percentage 1RM. It depends on the exercise. So we see big differences. To an upper body pushing exercise and an upper body pulling exercise. Now let's look at squat. And there's some differences in some of the scores that we see in squat because it depends on the depth of people doing. Are they doing concentric only squat? Are they doing a stretch shortened cycle squat? Which you know, a normal free weight squat. Uh, are they doing it in a Smith machine or are they doing it free weight? So there's some differences. But let's look at some uh, data uh, by uh, Farris from the AIS on rowers. So we've got good trained athletes and roughly at about 60%, they're moving the bar 0.56 meters per second. At about 70%, 0.47. At about 80%, around 0.37. 90%, 0.32 and 100% 1RM. This is just extrapolated because they didn't do a 1RM or 90% but they put a line of best fit in there. Uh, It'll be under 0.3 sometimes about 0.28, again it depends on the person. The deadlift appears to have similar velocities as the squat, the one RM is about 0.3 and so forth. Now it appears that there's critical velocities as we go over 80% in squat and deadlift, the velocities, don't take a, a sharp decline as much as they do on the upper body exercises. And that's because there's probably there's this trade off between you know, the important velocities you need for hip extension and knee extension that they occur at different percentages. And we need a, probably a critical velocity to get past that sticking point. So there's not a larger drop off in the squat and deadlift as there is compared to the bench press or bench pull. So it's another thing to note. So once we know that there's certain velocities associated with percentage 1RM, what we can do then is start to monitor the change in velocity at a certain percent 1RM or a certain weight that's associated with that percent 1RM to see if we're getting an improvement or a decrease in strength. So we see it in the bench press, for every say 0.08 meters per second, relates to about a 5% increment in one RM. And the bench pull is about 0.07. So if you were lifting, for example, 100 kilograms, and across time, a week or two, your velocity improved by 0.08, on your best repetitions, it probably suggests that your 1RM strength has gone up 5%. Conversely, if your velocity uh, has gone down, 0.08 on a bench press or on a bench pull, it probably suggests that your 1RM strength has also decreased by about 5%. So what we have to work out then is a similar sort of thing for the squat and deadlift. Um, so they're not so pronounced, the drop-offs, but if you track your own velocity across a number of resistances, and monitor that uh, those velocities on a regular basis, you'll get an indi- indication of whether your strength is being maintained, decreasing, or increasing. So if your regular squatting weight even during a warm-up, you' always warm up to say 100 kilograms, and it's staying fully stable, then you know your strength is staying stable. If you're having a good day and, and your velocity at a few of the warm-up weights is higher than normal, then it probably suggests you could go up a few kilograms a day to your t- top training weights uh, with your top training weights, because you might be fresher and have gained strength. So velocity is an indicator of your strength level. So we can start to predict one RM, or any percentage of one RM, from a velocity profile for each individual. I mean, individuals have different velocity profiles, so, but I've just given you some generic, or general data uh, for bench press and bench pull, and for, for squat, uh, where we can start looking at, okay, these are the velocities associated with these percentages, Where are my athletes in relation to these percentages for their strength level? So that's the use of of velocity first off between one RM and different percentages. Uh, What we'll look at now is also this relationship between velocity and measures of effort or fatigue. So, a lot of this research I'm talking about comes from uh, various Spanish researchers who have been right into this stuff for a number of years. And in some of their studies, they've looked at uh, doing sets to failure, for example, 10 reps with a 10RM, 8 reps with an 8RM, 6 with a 6RM, you know, 3 with a 3RM, or 2 with a 2RM. Or doing sets with maybe two repetitions shorter failure, so doing eight reps with a 10 RM, or four reps with a six RM, or doing reps with only about half the amount of reps, so doing, say, five reps with a 10 RM, or three reps with a six RM, or two of the four. So they looked at the drop off in velocity and also the uh, development of lactic acid and ammonia, so lactic acid being the fatigue product and ammonia being a a byproduct or a measure of, say, muscle damage uh, and and waste products. So, what they found is if you, doing a squat and doing a 10RM, for example, 10 reps with a 10RM, the velocity drop off across those reps from the best to the worst would be about 45% drop off in velocity. For bench press, it's about 58% the lactate level will be 12 millimoles, something around that. So that's fairly, you know, a lot of lactic acid. If you're doing multiple sets like that, that's going to be harder to recover from. If we stop maybe two reps short of fatigue and we do, for example, six reps with an 8RM, we're seeing a squat velocity drop off from best to last rep or worst rep of around 29% and about 39% in the bench press. So 29 for the squat, 39 in the bench press. Again, the velocity drop off in upper body movements is higher. The lactic level is still fairly high. It's around 11 millimiles. But what if we only do half the amount of reps possible? What we see is a velocity drop of only around maybe 17% from your uh, first rep to your worst reps. So if you're doing three with a six RM, or two reps of a four RM, and the lactate doesn't go over, say, three millimiles. So then we start to think, okay, if I'm programming, do I want them to be pushed where there is some high lactic levels and some you know muscle breakdown byproducts of ammonia and a large drop off in velocity? You might want that if you want hypertrophy. But if you're in season or peaking, you might not. Therefore, in our programming, we can use velocity and say, when I have a threshold velocity drop of, say, uh, 30% or 25%, I'll stop the set. Because I know beyond that point, I'll start to develop lactate and also I have some uh, byproducts of muscle breakdown. So velocity then is telling us about not only velocity, but effort and fatigue. So a large drop-off in velocity, means I'm working closer to fatigue, to my RM level, means I'll have a higher lactate, especially if I'm doing higher reps and more ammonia. If I'm doing lower reps and doing only half the amount of possible reps, I can have limited velocity drop-off and limited uh, waste product such as lactic acid and, and, and ammonia. So there's so, some things to consider. What we can also see is the volitional effort. And this is more pronounced again in the upper body exercises. So even though for example on a bench press with say 75% 1RM which is about a, te- a 10 rep max 75%, oh, R, 1RM, about a 10 rep max. The velocity associated with that on the first or best rep may be around just over 0.5 meters per second, 0.52, something like that. But what we'll see with, with each ensuing repetition is a drop off in velocity. And then when I get to that last rep, that 10th grinding rep, my velocity on that last rep, because it's a maximum effort rep, will be around 0.17, 0.16. That's the same velocity as a 1RM. So the point here is, and especially in upper body exercises, if you go to RM level, do all the amount of reps possible, your last rep will be roughly the same speed as your 1RM. If you're one rep, in, uh, one rep in from fatigue, so it'll be equivalent to your 2RM speed and so forth. So if a person was dropped three or four reps short of fatigue, maybe equivalent to a 92% in the bench press, their velocity might be around the 0.3 metres per second, something like that. So there's a relationship between, again, velocity and fatigue. If an athlete says, I've gone as hard as I possibly can on a set of bench press or shoulder pressing exercise, and the velocity of the last rep was 0.25, then you know they haven't, because the velocity should be 0.17, 0.19. So we can look at velocity then to see, are the, is that athlete going to the fatigue level you want them, if you want them at, at max effort? for a high repetition set. Or, again, conversely, if we don't want fatigue, we're keeping our uh, our velocities uh, closer to the best velocity that is attainable with that resistance or percentage 1RM. So velocity now becomes an extra tool to use for the strength conditioning coach to prescribe and monitor training. So we have the repetitions we do versus the repetitions that are possible and we call that sometimes effort. I'm going maximum effort or I'm going near maximum effort which is one or two reps short of fatigue or just hard effort which is maybe uh, three or four or five reps short of fatigue or uh, something like that. So we look at the, the effort and fatigue levels, the percentage 1RM and resistance associated with it and the velocity. So those, all those factors can now be monitored. So we have inexpensive tools such as like accelerometers um, to start monitoring that. We've had various linear position transducers for a number of years that allows us to do that as well. And we're starting to see a lot more data now about managing the athlete by looking at their velocity loss during a set or during a training session or um, during a training week, and looking at the velocity, how it's changing, and giving us an idea of the neuromuscular state of that athlete, either within the set or in the workout or a general uh, neuromuscular indicator for freshness leading into a competition game or, or a competition event. So that's a good measure of, of using, some good measures of using velocity. Now let's look at what is the relationship for different athletes. And I like to sometimes classify, classify athletes as, as maxes. They're the real fast switch athletes. Normal and grinders. And the grinders are the slow twitch people. And we have a lot of, sometimes in in sports, you know, explosive athletes, and they may have a very good first or second rep with a really good velocity, but they have a very large drop-off in velocity across a number of reps. So we have to, in my opinion, be more careful how we manage them close to fatigue, whereas grinders don't have the same amount of drop-off, they don't get the same velocity sometimes, as the maxes at, at the same percentage. So we just be aware of the difference between someone who I might call a maxer or a fast twitch type and a grinder or the slow twitch type. You know, you had 20 athletes, you might have two or three fast twitches, two or three grinding slow twitches and you know, the rest are in the middle. But you can just be aware of those differences. Um, so we do have these general rules, but individual differences still need to be taken into account. So now we know a a, a little bit about the velocity concepts and how we can use it, let's look at some study or some uh, training data that has used velocity. And again, Spanish researchers are doing a lot of this with athletes who typically may not be conducive to lifting weights. And we're talking about soccer players, volleyball players, and water polo players. Um, And they're using velocity to prescribe training and monitor training and to motivate. And in one study, the Spanish researchers, they looked at, okay, what if I try in every set to lift as fast as I can, whilst still keeping a good technique, versus if I do slow speed training. And we often see some people say, oh, you know, let's do deliberately slow speed, it gives us better results. So the Spanish looked at that concept on a long-term training program, or six-week program was, and so one group did max velocity uh, with whatever percentage they were working at. It was a linear progression, so it started with roughly 60% the first week and and trained up to about, 85% by the sixth week, so going up 5% or so per week. And obviously the velocity decreases as they go up. So that was the the, the main training group, the other group, whatever uh, the designated velocity was for that percentage, they had to train at half that velocity. So they are given feedback during each repetition. And what the Spanish researchers found is the group that tried intentionally to lift with max velocity made 18% improvement in bench press versus the group that used half the maximum possible velocity, made a 10% improvement in one RM bench press. And obviously the max velocity group, at any given investigated resistance that they looked at submaximally, maximally they made double the improvement in lifting that velocity, uh, lifting that resistance. So velocity then allows us to monitor or motivate us as well in training. If we can lift with max velocity in any given uh, resistance, we tend to get better improvements in maximal strength. Now that doesn't mean we have to do that for every single exercise, we can still do some slow training uh, for certain reasons, for size training or or, uh, rehabilitation. But for the key exercises you do, it's probably best to choose to lift max velocity for any given Resistance. Try and lift with the intention of lifting it as fast as possible with that resistance. Um, provided we're over that sixty percent range and post warm up, so that's a key thing to to consider. Now let's consider, you know, what are the velocities to train at for strength or power exercises, and again. Like I mentioned, there's a certain percentages there. You have to consider, do you want fatigue? Do you want to go to RM effort? Or do you want to stay uh, you know, two reps from fatigue or do just do half the amount of reps possible? You need to consider those factors. Do you want muscle soreness as a stimulation for size training or do you not want it? Do you want no muscle soreness at all? So there are key things to consider in planning training, knowing that if you only do half the amount of reps that a person can do at any resistance, they will not get uh, a a large drop-off in velocity, they will not get a large build-up in lactate, they will not get a large build-up in ammonia within the muscle. The closer we go to full effort the larger the drop-off in velocity, massive increases in lactate and, and massive increases in ammonia levels. So you just need to consider that when you're programming. When does the athlete have to compete? How close to competition I am? Or, or do I just want to gain size and it doesn't really matter? So all things you can consider as a strength conditioning coach. What I want to look at now then is, how do I use velocity measures to help guide large group of training or training with less familiar athletes? Often times as a strength conditioning coach, we are given athletes we know very little about, welcome back to pre-season training. uh, We don't know their capabilities uh, and so forth. How do we accurately prescribe training? We can ask them for the previous test data. Uh, we can look at them. And we do all those sort of factors. So what I want to do now is give you an example of, from real life, where I had this situation. So recently I was asked to train with, uh, train some of the wallaby players in the, in the lead up to the uh, test series this year in, in a training camp for three weeks. And these are athletes who were already